Welcome to David Gogo's Soul Bender podcast. A journey through the blues as seen through the hazy recollections from a life on the road. Thanks for dropping by to treat your hearing equipment to episode 33. If you like what's going on here, you can keep it going on here by tossing us some support at paypal.me slash gogoguitar. And if you'd like David to answer an embarrassing personal question, send that to soulbenderpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Scott James, camped out in the honeymoon capital of Western Canada, Saanich, B.C., where it's 41 degrees Celsius, also known as hot enough to boil a monkey's bum if you hear a fan in the background, that's why. David's camped out there on top of Gogo Mountain, where it's so hot the birds are pulling worms out of the ground with oven mitts. He's pretty much wrapped up the recording process on a new musical effort, which is why this episode is called, Hey, We Made Another Record. If you're a fellow producer who remembers taking razor blades and splicing tape to two-inch recording tape and physically cutting little rectangles out, get ready for some sweet, sweet Ampex memory burn and get ready for a sneak preview of the very first Go-Go Instrumental. Here comes episode 33 of the Soul Bender Podcast. All right, I'm sitting here in the kitchen at Go-Go Mountain with Steve Mariner and we basically finished all the tracking of the new album, so... For those who don't know, tracking means laying down the general tracks for the album. So all the recording's pretty much done. And you take it back to Ontario and mix it. And you're adding one, a couple more parts, I guess. Yeah, um, we're pretty much there. You know, I, uh, Even some of the mixes are well on their way. We'll see. Yeah, I'll add a few little bits of ear candy and uh, finish the mixes. And then you got a new record, bud. Yeah, I'm excited. So the last episode, I kind of talked about what I'd done in preparation. And so, you know, I, I, I wrote some songs, we decided on one cover tune, and then while you were here, we actually wrote two more songs, so that was cool. Yeah, we've been threatening to do that for a while. I was glad, it, uh, glad to see that come to fruition. Yeah, so one instrumental, which is, that's a lot, like for me, I've always, I've recorded a couple things that, that are instrumentals, but I've never written one, so it was nice to get one under, under my belt, and... And it feels good. It's got it's a nice vibe to it. Yeah, it's a good little cruisy tune. And then we did a naughty song as well. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about what it takes to make a record in someone's house these days. Um, I've only done one other album, and that was about ten years ago, I guess now almost. Um, Russell Broom came, and that was more of an electric record, where this is you know essentially an acoustic album. So there's a lot more involved, but. That being said, we still have drums and piano and upright bass. So what's it like for you in terms of your preparation and what you need to make a record? I mean, you flew out from Toronto to Vancouver Island. What do you have to do? Well, knowing what sort of sounds you're going for, in this case, knowing that we're going to be mostly having acoustic guitars and acoustic piano, acoustic bass, etc., you got to make the right microphone selections. So uh, thankfully, I own a couple nice microphones uh, that are great for capturing acoustic sounds. I've got a nice large diaphragm condenser that we used a lot on the guitars and the piano. Uh, I have a nice ribbon mic that we used also on the guitars and acoustic harp sounds great through a, a nice ribbon mic. And um, 
all of the preamps and compressors we were able to source here at Long McQuaid on the island. And that's great for me because it saves me bringing my own from home, which could be damaged in travel and is generally a pain in the butt. So the fact that we could get great quality studio gear here for a meager rental fee and uh, set up shop in your music room, I mean, essentially... We brought the studio to your house, and it seems like it's never been easier to do that. Yeah, and that's the nice thing about recording at home is, is just, you know, you don't have that sense of the clock ticking, therefore the dollars being spent. Most studios rent either an hourly rate or, or a daily rate. And um, and just the convenience, I think, of, like you know, if you're recording in, in a commercial studio, every time you have a meal break or something, it... You know, you got to shut everything down and take off. And this way, if you've got a little bit of editing to do, I run to the kitchen and start doing some food prep for that night. And yeah, and you know, and after dinner, if you feel like, hey, you know what, you got one more guitar track in you or one more vocal, let's try it. And that that's that's the nice thing, uh, or one of the nice things. The other thing is having all my goddamn guitars here. Yeah, absolutely. No, your 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 space, your music room is well set up. There's a beautiful old piano, an upright piano that we used on. At least half the record. Yeah. Um, all your wonderful guitars, uh, of which we used a bunch. Um, yeah, having that comfort and all that stuff there without having to schlep it around is a huge plus. Uh, being able to take an hour off and have a nap or just go for a walk or whatever, you know, and, and not feeling the pressure to make, you know, the most of every minute of the day has been a really, really great way to to make a record. In fact, I think this is the most relaxed album I've ever made because, yeah. because of that. And, you know, the setting up here being, you know, right out in town, out of town in the, in the trees kind of, it's an inspiring space. So, you know, it's you know, the, the view from the, from my desk for the last two weeks has been pretty great. And, uh, yeah, just good vibes all the way around. And that stuff makes it onto the recordings, I think. Yeah, and, and, and being out here, there, there's no distractions. It's not like someone's just going to show up and bang on the door. That happens sometimes if you're at a well-known place. You know, there'll be some band from out of town. Oh, we should go say hi to so-and-so yeah. that owns the studio. Then, like I say, then you just kind of lose the vibe. Um, and that's one thing about the pandemic is it's given me time to to be here, you know, to be at home, which I, I've never been at home this much in my life. And... Um, so it gave me a chance to kind of sort through all the stuff in my music room and, and, and get a chance to play these great guitars that, that I, you know, some of the ones I don't take on the road and just spend that much more time writing the songs and, and not just writing them, but then going over them again and editing them and, and, you know, rewriting and arranging. That's been real nice. And the funny thing is, uh, you know, making a an album in June on Vancouver Island because sometimes there can be distractions because it's so beautiful and there's lots of things to do. And especially if you've been cooped up for a year and a half <laughs> yeah, in, in sure, Ontario. Sure. But we, it was, it's actually been shitty weather for most of the recording. This is our, our last day and it's beautiful and we're going to head down to Nanaimo River in a bit. But I think the shitty weather kind of made us work a bit harder too. For sure. Like you say, no distractions. You're not daydreaming of being outside when it's pouring rain and cold. So yeah, no we got right to work and did the heavy lifting early on in the in the session and the last week or so has just been you know taking our time doing a part here a little part there mixing a little bit on the fly and yeah it's been really good man all the way around and we got it done in in two weeks yeah like from, nice. from not existing at all to you know fully recorded tracks some of them half mixed you know it's 
probably the quickest turnaround of any record I've been part of. Yeah. And and I love it. I love, I love the sound. And and that's kind of what we're going for is more of a an acoustic sound. Um that being said, there's a couple of tunes that rock pretty good too, you know. Yeah, I mean, they don't need to be loud and electric to rock, you know, it's the groove is there. You're you're playing really groovy parts on uh, a couple I can think of like on your 12 string like uh Never Gonna Change, that one you, mm. that you wrote with Tom Hambridge, and the uh, the other one that's called Morning Light. They're both really groovy and have the 12-string guitar and your voice up front and just, you know, groovy stuff around it. You know, and they both rock, and they don't need to be big, full electric productions to do that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's the nice thing about the record is, is we're just getting real sounds, you know, like... like um, you know, good, good acoustic guitars that sound great on their own, and you, you get a good microphone, and you know where to place it. Yeah. And it's funny how some of the sounds, like with the piano sounds, I was referencing, <laughs> excuse me, referencing a few times, uh, old Rod Stewart records, like the Every, Every Picture Tells a Story record. I just love the piano sound on that album, and a couple of the tracks were kind of getting that. Yeah. And I guess it's like the piano that's in my music room, is it used to be a player piano, and then someone put real guts in it. So it's a little, little... Wider than a, than a regular, you know, or deeper, I guess, deeper than a regular piano. So it has that sound, uh, which I love, man. It sounds so good. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so besides Long and McQuaid, and shout out to Long and McQuaid if you want to sponsor the this podcast. I think All right. <laughs> I do it for credit. But um, yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about in Canada is you rent stuff from Long and McQuaid. You can rent it in Halifax, return it in Nanaimo. But <clears throat> I guess we needed a couple more microphones, and our friend Sean Hall... You'd know him from the Harpoonist and the Axe Murderer. He's got a, his own studio in Nanaimo, and uh, he was gracious enough to uh, lend us a couple mics. And this is one of the funny things. Is we haven't had many distractions, but on the weekend, we were getting close to being done, and we decided we're going to go to the meat draw at the Moose Hall in Chase River, <laughs> south Nanaimo. And if, you, if, you don't, if you don't know what a meat draw is, it's, it's a charity thing. The Loyal Order of the Moose is one of these service clubs, a charitable organization. So you go in and you buy these these cheap tickets, and they get um, they go to the butcher shop, get a bunch of meat, and you sit around and they do a draw, and you can win some meat. So that was our big our big priority for the Saturday, and it's a and it's a funny gang down there at the Moose. But here's the thing: we had to return these microphones to Sean Hall, and him and his lady have the bottom half of this building that that they've leased is. Uh, she sells clothing and trinkets and knickknacks, and he's got the studio upstairs. So usually we'd hang for a while. We, you know, especially with Sean, he's usually got a, things, a few things to tell you. <laughs> but um, we kind of said we got to make this meat draw the priority. So we went in, returned the mics. You quickly bought a, a gift for your lady, and we looked around, and then I said, "Kate, let's go, let's go." And we both kind of thought, "Wow, we got out of there quicker than we've ever got out of there." And we get to the meat draw, and I check my phone, and I get a text from Sean. He says, "Dude." Two minutes after you guys walked out the door, Pamela Anderson came in to buy a kimono. <laughs> oh, man. Dude, it's, I thought, you know, irony of ironies, we, we missed hanging out with Pam so we could go to a meet. <laughs> Just kind of against her things. But I but I won I won two, two of the draws. And my you, mom won and Auntie Jean won, so it was worth it. Yeah, it was a good day for go-go. <laughs> they were actually getting mad at me because I, I, I never go. It's like the second time I've gone. The first time I went, I won two as well. <laughs> So that's kind of our, that was our one little little getaway, uh, but hey, it was it's feeding us now, so that's good. It's great. Um, 
Now, one interesting thing, you know, you're going back to Toronto to mix this. Are you mixing this at, at Jimmy Boskill's place? or I'll be doing some at my home studio. And then for the final, final mixes, I'll go to, yeah, Jimmy's studio, the Ganaraska Recording Company, and I'll finish them there. And um, well, what, what's interesting is we're going to try a technique that we've never tried before. Um, we're going to take your final mixes and run them through a vintage Ampex tape machine and hopefully, uh, you know, get some great vintage tape saturation and give it some of the some of the mojo from that machine and uh we'll see how that turns out you know so what's what's the the ampex called that, that machine again it's an ampex 351 it was constructed in 1953 okay it's a mono half inch tape machine and so um yeah, this this is the type of recording machine that you would have found in Sun Records or Chess Records at one time in the early '50s. You know, uh, a lot of very influential uh, music has been recorded on this type of machine. Um, so yeah, it's it's all mono. So um, you just one track in, one track out. So I'll feed it with your final mix, and then we'll re-record it to our digital audio workstation and then that will be your final mix yeah that's i'm excited about that. that that sounds cool because you know there's a lot of debate sometimes between analog recording and digital recording and there's obviously huge advantages to digital recording in terms of just making it easier oh, and, for and, sure. and, and you know editing and all that kind of stuff i mean shit when i don't when i first made records we were still recording on uh, on two inch tape and that was quite a deal because number one, it's expensive. Very, yeah. And it's you can only get a certain length, so sometimes you got to be careful that you don't run out of tape before the song's over. Yeah, that's right. But the biggest thing was for editing. Um, people would actually cut the tape, you yeah, know, with razor blades with the razor yeah, blade for sure. And there were some guys that were known. That was like their specialty was to physically cut the tape and then tape it back up in place so the music, you know, you, it, I mean, it's, it's insane now when you think about it. I, I can't even imagine. The, uh, yeah, the the recording software, you know, Pro Tools or Logic or whatever, uh, whatever you choose, they've their, their ability to edit recordings is just incredible. The things that you can do with these, these programs. But yeah, I can't even imagine. I do know two guys that I know who are able to cut and splice tape, you know, physical editing. But uh, the concept for me is just frightening as all hell. Because <laughs> <laughs> you could completely ruin the recording. Yeah, you, every, yeah, you could toast the whole thing. Yeah. Okay, David Gogo, 64 and a half, take two.
64 and a half is captured. Thank you. So the, so the idea of recording, even our digital recording that we're doing, sounds pretty damn good. Because, like, especially the fact that we're using good instruments, good microphones, good mic placement, like, that, all that part of it's there. Yeah. But it's going to be fun to, to run it through this old amp, Ampex. And, I'm, and there's certain songs. Like, we cut one that's uh, called Blues for Dollface. It's, it's, you know, I'm, I was thinking in my mind, let's make it like a Muddy Waters track. Mm-hmm. So that what I'm, you're playing harmonica, I'm playing national steel guitar. There's drums and and bass. So that's like that to me. It really appeals to me to have the sound go through that that analog tape and and see what's going on. Yeah, no, I think tracks like that will really benefit from you know just a little bit of tape saturation and just you know they'll make them sound a little little older, little you know a little different. Yeah, and it might not work for everything, but it might. You never know. But it, so you've, this is like a new thing. This is at, at cutting edge. Cutting edge. Yeah, no, I, I've never done it myself. We did make a record, just you know, recording directly to that tape machine last summer. Um, we did a blues record, you know, with a, a four-channel tube mixer and had four microphones and just placed them strategically, kind of in the way that they would have done in you know Sun or Chess Records back in the day. Um, and the results were great. We got we got really authentic sounding recordings, you know. Um, but I wanted to sort of just jump back and say, you know, even with digital recording, you know, the process here, you know, we we have a great microphone going through a great preamp and at times a great compressor, and then this the digital software that's capturing the sound. You've already gone through analog processing before you before you even get to the the digital software. So the sounds are going to be good. The The software just captures that. And these days, um, the digital versions of these analog pieces of equipment called plugins, particularly by a company called Universal Audio, they've made these amazing, ingenious plugins that model analog equipment. And they've made the process of achieving those analog sounds so so much easier than before. You know, you can really make pretty authentic sounding vintage style recordings with with these new digital, uh, you know, plugins, and it's it's mind blowing, really. And they're based. Some of them are based on some of the famous recording studios, right? It's like they, 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 some of them are based on the gear that's at the Capitol Record Studio in L.A. Some of them are based yeah. on Abbey Road in England. Yep, yeah, for example, the, the main stereo reverb I use a lot is called Capital Chambers, and it models the different reverb rooms at Capital Studios, like, in L.A., and it's pretty fantastic, really. You know, they make digital versions of all the famous compressor compressors and the different echo, like, they make a digital echoplex, a digital rolling space echo, they, you know... They do plugins for vintage Fender amps and stuff, and vintage Ampeg bass amps. It's it's incredible what they do. Yeah, because these when you talk about these reverb rooms, at some of the old studios, that's how they got the reverb. Was they actually had? It almost looks like if you go to a fire hall, like like the thin big structure that they'd hang the the hoses in to dry off. Yeah, I know Mushroom Studios in Vancouver. I did one record there, and they've still got a room like that. So you you it's 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 there. It's like the brick and mortar. Yeah, reverb, which would be pretty damn hard to recreate at a lot of spaces these days. Yeah, I mean, space is at a premium to begin with, but uh, 
you know, you have, you really have to commit to creating that kind of reverb room and that's what it's for, you know? Yeah. But there's so many different options of achieving that thing. Now it's a, you know, I wonder if having a physical reverb room is really, if the juice is worth the squeeze. Well, I don't think when I was at Mushroom, I don't think they, they used it anymore. Yeah. It was, it was there, but they didn't. Use, it's almost like seeing the two-inch Studer tape machine in the corner that's basically a coffee table. Yeah, I know. I mean, and like we've been saying, the, the advances in recording technology are just so, so many and so quick that even technology from five years ago is completely obsolete. You know, yeah. and it, it's improving all the time and the workflow is becoming more streamlined and user friendly. And it's, it's really not this mysterious, uh, black magic that it used to be, you know, it's, there's science and, you know, there's a, a method and everything, but it, it's, it's not, it's more accessible than ever, I think. Yeah. Um, so the song, the songs and the record. So you are the producer of the record. Mm hmm. And you're the engineer of the record, and you play on the record. So as producer, if people don't know what it is, it's basically you're kind of the guy that is in charge of the songs and how they're going to ultimately sound in terms of arrangement, you know, and what instruments to use. And So, I mean, I, I had time, like I said, to, to, to write, and, and um, that was nice to be at home. But you didn't really hear much of the stuff at all before you came out. Not really. Um, and that sometimes matters and sometimes doesn't because you and I have known each other and played music together off and on for two decades, pretty much. I'm pretty familiar with you and where you're coming from and how you play and sing. Mm -hmm. So there was no huge surprises, uh, in, on that front, but I have to admit some of the songs that you came up with are not what I've heard from you before. And that's very exciting for me as a producer, when I get to work with an artist, whether I know them or not to tread new territory is my favorite thing as a producer, because, you know, we're getting to present a side of you that maybe your audience hasn't heard before. And that's, that's always exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I felt that way in, when I was writing and demoing, you know, and not that you want to stray too far from what you're known for, because you don't want to piss your fans off sure. or alienate them or whatever. But you know, as an artist, you'd, you'd hope to continue to grow as well. So we you know we have a couple, <clears throat> what are you know, pretty straight ahead blues songs that are fun, but a couple more that are exploring different things. And then one of the songs that you and I wrote is more of what you, what you call like a almost a ragtime hokum style blues, which is not something I've done before. It's not really something I've you know, it's not really my thing. But it was fun to write it, fun to do it, yeah. and and I think people are going to like it. But um, yeah, I mean, a couple of the. It looks like the title track is going to be called Silver Cup. You know, that was, you know, that deals with my Métis heritage. And I tried to approach it as more of a a ballad, you know, mm -hmm. a Canadiana kind of a thing rather than just a blues. And then there's another song called Top Shelf, which is, is kind of a straight ahead ballad. But I don't think it's that far away that the people are going to freak out. Oh, I don't <laughs> think so at all. I mean, both of those songs have tons of bluesy licks and singing and progressions in them but right. at the same time uh we've approached them by serving the song and putting the parts that we think are appropriate for the for the vibe of the song on there you know we're not not going to make it into something it's not you know yeah um, and to that end you know 
as the producer, I, I never feel like it's a unilateral decision. You know, I, if you had a vision for the song, we, we did a lot of discussing and, you know, going back and forth. And, uh, you know, I, have, I didn't feel like we really butt heads on anything. And uh, I'm always happy to accommodate the artist. If you have a vision for a song that you've written and mine is a little different, well, you wrote the song. I'm not going to completely change it on you. But, you know, I have my ideas for what different instruments' voices should be on there. And, yeah. and pretty much we agreed the whole time. We, you know, we tried a few things that didn't necessarily work out, but that's what you do, you know. Yeah. You see what works and then you know when it doesn't. Exactly. Uh, and the only outside guest we had, which... <clears throat> You know, I like I like having different people on my album, but but you know, you were covering much of what was going down. Like I said, bass, and drums, and harmonica, and piano, and guitar. Um, and we had Marisha Devoin, <coughs> who plays in my uh, in my Western band, come up, and she's just a great musician. And she really, because she's got she's such a great upright bass player, it the song she played on, especially. Um, Silver Cup, I felt really like we had a really good song and really good arrangement, but just that was just the fucking cherry on top. Oh, she completely elevated every track she played on, you know. Uh, and I had only ever heard you talk about her before, but I, this is my first time uh, having the pleasure of meeting her and working with her. And, you know, she showed up at 11 and she was gone, or at least done by, you know, 11.45. She was yeah. such a pro. She'd done her homework, but also her instincts. You can just tell that she's a really great musician, and she completely picked up on the vibe. I didn't have to tell her anything, you know. She and we got. She has a great sounding instrument. We got a great sound on that bass, and yeah. I, I'm really pleased with how her parts turned out on your record. And I think, like, yeah, like I told her, she made everything better than when she found it. <laughs> yeah, which is that's fantastic. Yeah. Now the funny thing is, is is the, the record's pretty much all acoustic. Um, one thing that you were doing for tracking was uh, my buddy Michael has left his uh, Hofner violin bass, like the Paul McCartney's known as the yeah. Paul McCartney style bass, with what's called flat wound strings. So they're they're more uh, you know thumpy. They're not like bright like wound around strings. So you were playing just kind of with your thumb, and it sounds almost exactly like an upright bass. Um, do you feel that you that we're going to keep those, or do you think you're going to? Um, Overdub. You mentioned that there's another upright bass back in uh, Ontario. Well, I think for a couple songs, they work pretty well. Uh, just having that extra sort of sustain, even though the palm muting technique really does give the same sort of attack as an upright bass, but still it's electric, so you get a bit more sustain. So like on Morning Light, for example, it, it I think it works well to have right. the electric bass. But for... Blues for Dollface, which is that sort of Muddy Waters vibe. Um, I'll probably put Upright on that because right. you know, that's the 50s Chicago sound, you know. And I really was trying, trying really hard to emulate Upright Bass with the Hofner on that one. But I think I'll go for the real thing at home and, and throw a real Upright track on there. Yeah, because I freaked you out one night and put on a NRBQ DVD <laughs> <coughs> and a live but Joey Spompanato from Ben RBQ is so good with the old Dan Electro bass of playing. Yeah. It sounds like an upright, but he's yeah, totally. doing that palm mute and everything. And he was also the guy that Keith Richards chose to be the bass player on the Hail Hail rock and roll Chuck yeah. Berry thing. So yeah. he's really got that style down. Um, yeah, and it was it was fun, it was fun for me to not to not be hauling out the the electric guitars, you know, and I just yeah. like playing these these beautiful old instruments. So 
I've got my 1930 National guitar, so that's a brass body steel plated. Mm-hmm. We used 1935 Trojan National, which is wood body but still a resonator. We've got what's what that Gibson that J45 is probably like mid 50s, would you say? Yeah, late, late 50s, mid yep. 50s. Uh, one track was my Gibson L Junior, which is late teens, early 20s, and then. One I used a lot was my my Martin D35. It's just such a beautiful sounding guitar. And it, it doesn't even have a pickup, so we had no choice but to just mic it. And, um, yeah, so I think that's kind of... We snuck a little bit of lap steel in there, and but that's about it. It was fun. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, each of those instruments has such a strong character. I really like the Martin, the way uh, when you hit it hard, it's a really great strumming guitar because it's just so even and has a great sound and nothing's sticking out too much yeah i per, like from my taste and the way i play guitar i'm really in love with that J, gibson j45 and the the ones from the 50s have big chunky necks and i just love that and it you know i didn't play a ton of guitar but when i did i went for that one and i just love it so yeah it's a nice woody sounding yeah, guitar it sure is Oh, and then we got the Taylor 12-string, oh, yeah, which is on, on quite a bit of stuff, which, and it's a good-sounding guitar. Yeah, it's it's a big-sounding guitar. It's, I mean, well, it should be. There's twice the string. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know, uh, yeah, it sounds great. I've always loved the sound of a 12-string, and I love the way you play it, and it's really, you play it really muscly in a, in a good way, where it's like, grabs your attention. Both both those songs where it's really featured prominently, the uh, um, Morning Light and uh, Never Gonna Change, it's really got this growly attack and i love it and yeah and both those songs are tuned down to open d so you get even more of a resonance and uh yeah because some some 12 strings especially older ones they can be a, a bit of a bitch because they're just physically difficult to play and tune and tuning oh yeah but this that taylor's very very true and it's yeah it's been nice yeah well thanks a lot man to quote uh john prine there's flies in the kitchen i can hear them they're buzzing so i don't know if you can hear it on the recording here but we got this goddamn flies <laughs> But uh, thanks for doing the record, and uh, look forward to hearing the final mix. And now we're going to go down to the river and see if it's warm enough to swim. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot for checking out episode 33. Questions are always welcome. Send them to soulbenderpodcast at gmail.com. And thanks for helping us keep the lights on via paypal.me slash guitar. I'm Scott James. Those guys are David Gogo and Steve Mariner. Stay cool. And we love you. This has been David Gogo's Soulbender podcast. To stay up to date, follow him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Mm